On today's episode of the Mike and the Mike podcast, we take a trip around the sports world. We talk about the fall classic, NBA, NFL, and we even fit in some MLS talk at the very end. Stay tuned. We are back. Another episode of the Mike on the Mic podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, we are in my favorite time of the sports year. We've got baseball coming to a close tonight. It's game seven of the World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers. We've got basketball starting to get into full swing here. The games don't matter yet in basketball, but it's still fun to watch. We've got football. Teams are really starting to come out of their bye weeks and getting ready for the playoffs. And of course, you've got hockey going on as well. Right now, it really feels like any night you can watch a really solid sporting event. So let's just start with baseball because that's coming to a close tonight. The end of the baseball season will be tonight. I personally really hope the Astros win. I think that their rise to fame matches that of the Giants. Multiple years ago, back in 2010, when they first won, The fact that the Giants, before they got to the World Series, were so bad for so many years. I just remember going to games, and Ray Durham, Aaron Rowan, it was just so many bad players, and all of a sudden, then Madison Bumgarner comes up, Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain, and all of a sudden, a new crop of players comes in and make a couple trades, and boom, you have a World Series. And I think that's starting to happen here with the Astros, is that they have been so bad for so many years, and then they finally switched to the American League, and they, all those players that they've been drafting for years now, like Keiko, are, are starting to develop and really taking the league by storm. And I really like that model rather than what the Dodgers have done in years past, which was go and try and buy players. But now what the Dodgers have kind of switched to is moving away from that more New York Yankees, we're going to go get buy the best players. They've got a lot of homegrown guys. Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson, and a bunch of other guys as well. Plus, they have just their starting rotation is incredible, with Wood, Rich Hill, Clayton Kershaw. It's I, I don't understand how it wasn't a sweep to be honest with that starting pitching. But this World Series so far has been incredible. As a as a neutral fan, it has been so much fun to watch, and I can't imagine watching it as an Astros or a Dodgers fan. That would have to be excruciating. The amount of comebacks there have been in this game, I remember in game, I believe it was game five, the Astros were down by three runs twice, and both times they hit a three-run homer to tie it up. They ended up winning that game, and they could have wrapped it up in game six, but they didn't, so we got game seven, of course. And I, people have been talking about how the balls are different, and as someone who pitched for a long time in high school, There is a difference. When there's a different ball, it's different to throw, and it takes a while to get used to. And I think that could be one of the reasons why you're seeing so many home runs in this World Series is the fact that these pitchers are using a slicker ball. It's a lot harder to locate, and that's going to leave a lot more meatballs out there for hitters, you know, just to make contact with. And the more times you make contact, the higher chance it has of going out of the park. So, and I don't think that the balls are juiced, if you will, But I do definitely think that having a different ball for the World Series has caused some problems with pitching staffs. And you've seen 
so many times now, even in this postseason, where pitchers have a really rough first couple innings and all of a sudden they're yanked. And they go to the bullpen and they wear out the bullpen, but then the next night they have to play. And you saw it with the Dodgers. I don't remember what the pitcher's name is, but he had pitched, I think it was five of six days. And he came in and literally just threw, he threw like 10 pitches and four of them were hits, two were home runs. It was like a single, a double, two home runs. And you really see the effect it has on these pitching staffs is the fact that they can't go, these starting pitchers can't go deep in the games because they're getting lit up. And it's really, I think it's changing how a lot of people really expected the World Series to go. Going in, I've, I really wanted the Astros to win, as I said a minute ago. And I, I really thought the Dodgers would win. They have just so much. They're so deep. They've got Turner, who's an MVP candidate. Bellinger, Jock Peterson, Yasiel Puig. Their team just top to bottom is so good and so deep. I'm really surprised that they haven't played better. And something that I've seen on Twitter before the World Series started was uh, you see these people talking about Clayton Kershaw and how great he is and how his playoff numbers are skewed and people are only talking about his bad performances, not the good performances he's had. And I saw a tweet that I, it frustrated me a lot. It was by someone from MLB.com who had said that, and he's not wrong, but he said that Clayton Kershaw with seven quality starts is, has, more, or has one less than Madison Bumgarner, eight. In their, in their playoff careers. So he's not wrong. Clayton Kershaw does have one less. I'm not sure what it is now. This is before the World Series. But Madison Bumgarner had pitched in nine games in the playoffs. Eight of those games were quality starts. Kershaw had pitched 14 games in the playoffs. Seven had been quality starts. You can't compare any pitcher to Madison Bumgarner in the playoffs at least. As a Giants fan, when Bumgarner comes into the games, you are so confident that he's not going to give up more than two runs. You know for a fact he will not give up three, four, five runs. With Clayton Kershaw on the mound in the playoffs, you're almost nervous. Like, uh uh-oh, is this the game where he's going to get, you know, racked and there's going to be getting singles, doubles, and then a home run, all of a sudden it's three runs, and you're almost out of the game. And that really frustrated me to see people starting to compare that. And, of course, Kershaw really had a rough, I believe it was game five, and he got really roughed around, and that put an end to those talks. But that really, that was something that I saw and that I think is different. If you were to go between Kershaw, Bumgarner, and like Max Scherzer, let's say, if you're talking regular season, I'd have Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw. But if we're talking World Series, chips are down, I give me Madison Bumgarner any day of the week. That's who you want to have. It's who you need. He can do it all. He can go nine innings, and he's able to pace himself so well. I also saw this from StatCast, uh, the ESPN Twitter account, that multiple times in the 2014 World Series, I believe it was, Bumgarner threw his hardest pitch in his last inning, which was the ninth inning, I believe, for that game. And... His ability to pace himself is second to none. And I really like what the Astros have is a lot like Madison Bumgarner is Justin Verlander. And although he pitched uh, last night and didn't get the win, 
Verlander and Bumgarner are very similar. Verlander paces himself really well, and those are the pitchers you want in the playoffs. Ones that are going to pace themselves are going to get you seven innings, maybe a little bit more, and you don't have to worry about you know stretching out the bullpen because, again, that's been a problem so far. So moving on now, let's talk about some NBA action that's been going on. It has been a crazy... I, I've been so shocked, and if you listen to our... Uh, my Eastern Conference preview with Reed Bueller or my Western Conference preview I did last week. Uh, so far, some of my predictions are not looking too good. The Cavs have looked horrible. I, I can't find the right words to describe how bad the Cleveland Cavaliers have looked. And I talked with Reed about it in that podcast about how the Cavs don't have very many perimeter defenders. You know, Dwayne Wade's way past his prime. J.R. Smith doesn't play defense. And all of a sudden now, the one player I thought that was that could set the tone for them is Jay Crowder. And he's played under 20 minutes most of these games. And I'm really just confused in general with what Cleveland is trying to do. Another team I've been kind of surprised by has honestly been the Orlando Magic. I said that they would be one of the worst teams. I've, I've said they'd be the worst team in the NBA, in fact. And they are 5-2 and two right now, and they are in second in the Eastern Conference. So I am beyond surprised there. And I've, something else I'm, we're so many surprises going on right now is how many people have jumped on this Giannis bandwagon. And I love it. I love Giannis Antetokounmpo. I loved him last year. I had League Pass last year, watched him as much as I could. And I think he could be the best player in the NBA in a couple years once kind of this current crop of players moves on and starts to get past their prime and retire. I think the Bucks are a very interesting team because I think so right now they are four and three and they've got Giannis not carrying the team but really like leading them and I think they're going to stay at a five or six mark and in the Western Conference I I'm not surprised that the Warriors are having a slow start you go play at such a high level in the NBA playoffs and in the NBA finals where everything matters. They play, they played game five, they win, then they don't play basketball until the start of the regular season. And guess what? The regular season really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they're going five, that they're five and three right now. The only thing that matters is that they make the playoffs as a one or two seed. They don't really, they don't even need home court advantage. But I think that I think it's also a case with the Cavs as well. You play at such a high level and the biggest stage in the world, the NBA Finals, and then all of a sudden to come back and to have to go play, you know, in New Orleans on a Tuesday night, it's not sold out, nobody's there. The motivation just isn't going to be there. And I, I understand it, I see it, and I think that as the season progresses, the teams will get better and the quality is going to get a lot better. Another team that I've been... I'm not surprised by, but it's been the Phoenix Suns. We, I talked about them last week. They fired their coach, Earl Watson, and since then, they've actually looked good. And I think that a part of that is the coaching and the way Earl Watson coached. But also, I think it's as these players kind of go through the season, they realize that they're, I think they're stuck with each other. And you saw Josh Jackson do the gun motion at some Clippers fans. And I think that as they're a young team and as they learn and as they grow and as they develop, they're going to be able to get better. And as the season goes on, I think the Suns and these young teams are going to look a lot better than they do now. 
As for who I really am not surprised by, it's got to be like the Atlanta Hawks and the Chicago Bulls. The Hawks have already played seven games, and they're one and six. And they have just been, after winning the first game of the season, they've lost six straight. So that just should tell you enough about the Hawks and how how just bad they are. And now that I see New York on the standings, that reminds me now. Kristaps Porzingis, I've I've talked with a lot of people about this, and I've I've been of the mindset that as soon as Carmelo Anthony left New York, and the team became Kristaps Porzingis's team, the team would start to flourish. Okay, they're only three and three right now, but in the past, being a 500 team in the East is going to get you a seven or an eight seed. And right now they're in the nine seed. The Pacers have played okay so far, and so have the Hornets. And I think that the Knicks, as the season goes on, and as as long as Porzingis and Frankie Nitalikina struggled there, almost got it, but as long as those two can stay healthy and produce the way they have been, I think they are really set. In Nitalikina, they have a, a really a true point guard who's not going to try and score, and he's not wanting the ball in his hands at all times. He wants it, and he's going to create. He's going to pass it around. He's not a ball-stopping point guard like a Derrick Rose, like a Carmelo Anthony that's going to stop. Okay, dribble, 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 five seconds left. All right, I'm going to do my thing now. I think they're going to have a lot more ball movement. Their defense is still a question. You can't have Ennis Kanter as a starting center and expect to be good defensively. Kanter's been exposed so many times defensively at, at really just how bad he is. And I... I think that the Knicks have a long way to go before they're actually relevant in the Eastern Conference, but what I've seen so far, I've really, really, really liked. So moving on to the NFL now, the trade deadline was yesterday, and we had some blockbuster trades made. The Niners acquired Jimmy Garoppolo. This was on Monday night. And as a San Francisco 49er fan, seeing that name flash up upon the screen saying he's going to San Francisco. I was just, I was so excited. Watching Brian Hoyer so far this season has been the definition of painful. And even CJ Beathard has not been great. And having a quarterback now that you can, you know, put a stamp on and say, this is our guy. This is our blue chip guy. He's going to lead the Renaissance. I'm so proud, happy, surprised at Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and what they've done. I'm going to get a Jimmy Garoppolo jersey. I'm going to rock the Jimmy Garoppolo Niner jersey for as long as he plays for the Niners. And I think that this could be the start of something good for San Francisco. They've got a good defensive line. They really have a great piece in Pierre Garcon and Carlos Hyde. The offensive line needs work, but now having that Jimmy Garoppolo as quarterback, I think that helps a lot. Kelvin Benjamin also was traded from the Panthers to the Bills. I was, I, I didn't see that until a couple hours ago when I was reading through the trade deadline stuff, and I was kind of surprised. Benjamin has not played well in Carolina, and he and Cam really have not been on the same page since Benjamin came there, I believe it was two years ago. But the return they got, I don't, I'm not going to say it's not worth what they gave up, but... If I was Carolina, I'd still want to get another receiver because right now they don't have many weapons with Cam Newton. And I wonder what 
Carolina's thinking is because that defense is getting older now. Luke Kuechly clearly just cannot stay on the field. Davis has had his injury problems. He's looked good, but he's also getting up in age. And when you see these guys with the ACL tears and you see them start to deteriorate once they get on the wrong side of 30. As for the standings in the NFL right now, I'm AFC East, I'm not surprised. Patriots are winning. Steelers are winning the AFC North. No surprise there. We At the beginning of the season when I did the NFL preview, I said the AFC South would be the closest division, and it still is. The Colts are 2-6, and six and they technically aren't out of the playoff hunt. They kind of are, but they definitely, if they were to string like two or three wins together, they could be back in it. And the AFC West has not been as strong as I thought it would be this year. I thought we'd have the Broncos at a five and three or six and two. Instead, they're three and four. The Chargers have looked really bad. So have the Raiders. The Raiders have been just the biggest surprise for me this season. They lost Derek Carr for a couple games, which is understandable for those games they didn't play well. But even with Derek Carr, players like Amari Cooper hasn't. He's really the big one for them that just has not played up to standard. He's had dropping problems in the past in his and not last year but the year before that he had so many drop passes I remember because a lot of my friends would talk about my Raider friends would talk about how Amari Cooper is like the most frustrating person in the NFL because when he catches the ball and has good hands he can be such a threat and you saw that last season when he's catching all these balls from Derek Carr when he just it's it sounds so simple but it's so hard just catching the ball if because if he can get it in his hands he's so good but the question is can he get it there the Eagles have been the really the biggest surprise to this season, for me at least. I expect the Cowboys to be a lot better. It looks like Ezekiel Elliott's going to serve that suspension. This has been a, a, a just a, a shit show, really, for the Cowboys. Week in, week out, you don't know if Ezekiel Elliott's going to play. He's their starting running back. And Alfred Morris is their backup. And I, I can't imagine for Elliott and Dak Prescott and the entire coaching staff having a game plan each week, not even knowing if Ezekiel Elliott's going to be able to play. And Elliott has played so well thus far with all this going around him. As for the NFC North, as soon as as soon as soon Aaron Rodgers went down, you knew that the Packers were not going to be able to keep pace with the Vikings or even the Lions, honestly. It looks like right now the Vikings are going to kind of go away with run away with the division at six and two for the nfc south it's crazy enough to say but i think the saints are have shown us that they're a better team without adrian peterson they've got a really good core of running backs with mark ingram and the other young guy whose name i slipped me right now but i think that this nfc south you saw the falcons i said beginning of the season the falcons would have a super bowl hangover they started 4-0, and and since they've been 2-and—sorry, not 4-0, sorry. They started really well, and then since then, they've lost three of their last five. You're seeing the Super Bowl hangover now. You saw with the Broncos and Panthers last year. This year, you're not seeing as much from the Patriots. You did in the beginning of the season, but now the Patriots are looking unstoppable as they always do. The Rams had a bye week last week, so we haven't seen them in a little while, but they have a really tough game coming up this week going east to play the New York Giants. The Seahawks have looked pretty good as of late as well, and the Cardinals, since getting 
Adrian Peterson have looked like a lot better of a team. And I've said it from the beginning with my Niners, as long as they are in these games, I need the Niners to go 0-16. I hate to say it, or 1-15, but they need to get the number one pick in the draft, and it doesn't look like the Browns are going to win a game. And I want the, so far the Niners have covered a lot, and I want these games to be close. I want the Niners to lose every game by three points in overtime. Why? Because that shows that they are missing just one or two little pieces to push them over the edge to where they can win these games. I would not want to be like the Browns, where every game you're just getting blown out because there's no hope. There's no, not parity, but you're not, you're looking for things to hang your hat on. And for the Browns, for instance, Kaiser's not looked good, the quarterback out of Notre Dame. He's not looked great. He's had a lot of interception problems after a pretty good start to the year. And in general, the Browns aren't going to win a game this year. I feel like the Niners are going to get away with one or two wins at some point this season. And moving on, we're going to move into some MLS talk now. We're in the midst of the MLS playoffs, which personally I'm not a fan of. I don't think the MLS should do playoffs. But we'll, I'll have a whole U.S. soccer State of the Union podcast coming either next week or the week after that. But right now, the way the MLS playoffs work, everyone in each conference, East and West, seeded one through six. Starting off, there's a knockout round where seeds three, four, five, and six. Three plays six, four plays five. They move on. Right now, the teams that are in it, in the Western Conference, we've got teams that are going to play a two-legged tie and from that the winners will play in the in the conference finals so in the western conference you have portland timbers versus the houston dynamo their first leg was 0-0 they play their second leg at portland november 5th the other team in the west seattle sounders vancouver whitecaps they played october 29th another 0-0 draw they play at seattle Tomorrow, November 2nd, on Fox Sports 1. I may watch that game. That will be a fun one to watch. On the Eastern Conference side of things, Toronto is the one seed, and they're up against the New York Red Bulls, who have been a really solid team this year, and I'm surprised they're actually the sixth seed. But in that first leg, Toronto won 2-1. to one. They're going to play their second leg also on November 5th. Then just last night, Halloween, New York City FC playing against Columbus Crew. The Columbus Crew fighting for their lives to stay in Columbus, Ohio, as their owner wants to move. They fought for a 4-1 to win, so it looks like Columbus is going to be on their way to the Eastern Conference Finals, barring an epic collapse. And if you had to tie my hands and make me make a prediction, I think Columbus is going to take this motivation, and I think they're going to make it out of the Eastern Conference side of things. I think they're a solid team with a lot to play for. And out of the West, I think we're going to see the Portland Timbers as the one team. They're going to be in it again. The Portland Timbers are, are basically the Spurs or the Patriots of the MLS. Every year, they can start slow, but you know when October comes, the Timbers are going to be in the mix for the MLS Cup. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard from me, you can find me on Twitter at mswain97. And also, if you like what you heard, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Those have been helping out a lot. Thank you guys, and I'll talk to you next week.
Thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for all music used in the making of this podcast.